There's another billion dollar bank settlement, home prices are up again, and we're taking a close look at JP Morgan's woes. You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. It is Tuesday. I'm Matt Kopenheffer, joined, as always, by David Hansen. David, Carlos Burl may have broken the record for riding the largest wave ever. The previous record, I believe, if I remember correctly, was 78 feet. Mm-hmm. May have broken that. David, what is the craziest thing you've ever done? I am not very risky. Uh, I, <laughs> I jumped off like a 20-foot tw- a rock once. That's about it for One me. One time pre- you drank some milk that was two days <laughs> expired. pretty lame. I sniffed the milk and it smelled okay, but that was mine. What about you? Oh, this isn't about me. Let's move on to the headlines. <laughs> the first headline of the day. Speaking of risky, we've got another billion-dollar bank settlement. Uh, Wall Street Journal, CEO out as Dutch bank reaches a billion-dollar LIBOR settlement. This is continuing the, the LIBOR investigations. Uh, this is uh, the, the, fine, the, fine with, uh, the fine to Rabobank. And then there's a deferred prosecution agreement with the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this now... This Meaning bank, that they're not going to be charged criminally and stuff, correct? If they keep, if, if, if they, they keep if themselves they in order, if, right, if, yeah, if yeah. they stay out of trouble. Uh, but they join Barclays, UBS, and Royal Bank of Scotland that have settled so far. Now, here's the thing. When, when you look at this, I can't help but think that there is almost no way that this is the next shoe to drop for the U.S. banks. Mm-hmm. I mean, particularly J.P. Morgan and, and Citigroup, who are both, I mean, Citigroup, their whole story is international. And J.P. Morgan, one of the biggest players, I think maybe the biggest player internationally uh, with derivatives. Mm-hmm. So you got to figure that there's something coming down the line for both of these Not going to be something that really damages the bank, though. I mean, a billion dollars there, it's a lot of money. A billion dollars is significant. I mean, uh, pile that on top of... $13 billion for, for J.P. Morgan there, another 5 to $6 billion settling with the private mm-hmm. mortgage investors. I mean, it, it does add up. Right. All right, moving on to the next one. <laughs> Going to some earnings here. We had earnings from American Capital Agency, the mortgage REIT, and they reported a $0.45 cent comprehensive income. So that includes, includes the unrealized movements in, in their books there. But overall, uh, on the actual net income line, it was a loss, not a not a great quarter. And if you look at the stock today, down as much as seven percent, not a good day for for AGNC. You were listening to the call this morning. Any main takeaways that you heard? It's a little bit of a flip flop from last quarter, right? So last quarter, positive net income, negative comprehensive income. Mm-hmm. This quarter, I, it, it's a lot of just realizing the the losses that they had before. Here are two things from the conference call. Number one. American Capital Agency's management continues to talk about the idiosyncratic nature of today and idiosyncratic risk. I, I don't like that. I, I, don't, I don't buy it. Time moves forward. Every, every day is a new day. It's all idiosyncratic. And, and if we go to next year, if, if we're sitting here next year, it's still going to be idiosyncratic because you're just going to be facing different risks particular to that period. The second thing is, is that there were a couple analysts on the call taking management to task for being a little conservative or for, for getting more conservative mm-hmm. over this period as management looks to the potential for interest rates rising and the Fed tapering off early next year. Now, their point was is that we could go back last year, we could go back the year before and say many of the same things. But I actually agree with uh, American Capital Agency's management on this one. I think it is different now. The unemployment rate is lower. Uh, the economy is improving, albeit slowly. And the housing market has improved. And we've already seen interest rates start to rise. 
I agree that now is a time to be a little bit more conservative. Uh, I think you're right. I, I liked some of their comments. They were a little bit further looking than just next quarter. I think they realized the next couple quarters are, are going to be tough, but they were looking two, five years down the road. They liked their prospects, so I like where they're looking. Let's, let's leave it at that. All right, third headline, Bloomberg. Housing prices in U.S. cities rise by most since early 2006. This is, uh, this is Case Shiller numbers from August, year-over-year. Year, home prices up 12.8%. That was the most since February 2006. That is impressive. Time to celebrate. <laughs> I, I, August, I, I, I thought right? you were going to, as you were saying that, I thought you were going to say time to sell. No, 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 no. Maybe. maybe, maybe I, well, sell. that's exactly, I mean, that's exactly it. I mean, with prices rising like this, both new and uh, existing homes are going to go on the market. I mean, that's just the way it is. True. Uh, eventually, it'll stop. I feel like we say that every time Case Shiller comes out and it's 12%. It's been 12% year-over-year growth the past s- several months. I can't even remember how many times it's gone back now. Uh it will slow eventually. So this is August. A lot of those homes are, are the mortgage, higher mortgage rates hadn't fully baked itself in, I think. And yesterday we saw existing home sales falling sharply. Mm-hmm. So it eventually will catch up. I think the housing market, I don't see it going negative anytime soon. But again, over the long run, we can't expect 12% growth here. I said yesterday that I'm not going to read too much into the September and October economic data because of the craziness with the government. However, I will be interested to see what happens with home prices those two months. Right. All right, moving on to the next round, looking at a couple more headlines. Rapid fire style. The first one, not a headline. I'm cheating. Again, uh, we mentioned on the show yesterday that Invesco Mortgage Capital, another mortgage REIT, was reporting earnings today. I did say that. They did report indeed, and wasn't pretty over there either. Uh, stock getting hammered this morning, net loss of almost $9 million there. Again, just like American Capital Agency, they sold off. Probably not at the best time to be selling mortgage-backed securities in early July there. Took a big loss on that. They're continuing to try to reduce their exposure to agency mortgage-backed securities. They're doing that, but it's going to hurt in the short run. Uh, over at the FT, headline is Goldman Sachs eases work conditions of junior investment bankers. There's a quote in this article from David Salmon, Goldman Sachs' co-head of investment banking. He says, the goal is for our analysts to want to be here for a career. Great move by Goldman Sachs. The, one of the key advantages for Goldman is having better people than everybody else. I think this is a move to get those people in there early and keep them. Do you think, that, do you think it'll actually work or is this just a hey, PR move? Hey, come on. Are you being positive? About yes. It? All right. Well, what's your yes. positive? Third headline was from Bloomberg. Optimism. It says, B of A Accord with FHFA could cost $8 billion, and that was according to Fitch. So we saw JP Morgan settle with the FHFA for around $4 billion, or $5 billion total, but $4 billion related to mortgage-backed securities. Uh, Bank of America, they had a bigger exposure to the FHFA, so the new estimate now is potentially $8 billion. Not a concern here if you're a Bank of America shareholder. shareholder, Don't freak out. They've reserved. They have this in their reserve along with the other $8.5 billion settlement. So it's a big number, but it's okay. All right. Moving on to our focus for the day. And the focus is J.P. Morgan. And specifically, the, the legal troubles, the woes, uh, you might say the culture of doom or the, the perceived culture of doom mm-hmm. at J.P. Morgan. You and I are both shareholders of J.P. Morgan. So the question is, how can somebody feel okay? How is it possible to feel okay unless you're if, – if, if you're a pure, cold-blooded capitalist, you probably love the fact that J.P. Morgan continues to churn out profits. You don't care about anything else. Mm-hmm. But for everybody else – 
that has that, that wants to combine their capitalism, their love of a good investment and a good business with some humanity, with feeling good about what you're owning, with being able to sleep at night. How can that combination happen? I think you have to look at the businesses. We, we if you want to feel good about yourself, I know it's out and we hear from the media, from hearing news reports that J.P. Morgan, they're just all criminals. It's all criminal enterprise. I don't think that's true. I think when you look at the actual business they do, they offer some good services to their clients. Their investment banking, year-over-year revenue up 4%. People are coming to J.P. Morgan. They want them to be advised by J.P. Morgan. They want their business. You look at their credit card business up, asset management business up. So people are coming to J.P. Morgan. They want, to feel, they want their business. They feel good doing business with J.P. Morgan. So if you want to feel good about your investment, I think you have to look beyond the headlines and look at the actual business, which is performing well. Well, I think... I think part of the problem is that just like in, in anything else, in, in almost any other business, what you, the group that you hear from, you hear from mostly the customers who are, who are very upset, where, where things went wrong. Mm-hmm. And when you think about the, the number of customers that J.P. Morgan has, that Bank of America has, that Citigroup has, there are, going, there, there are millions, millions upon millions of customers who are satisfied with the service satisfied with the business that, that, that they're receiving from them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a, I have a Chase credit card, and uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm perfectly satisfied with it. I'm not so wowed that I'm going to go out and say, you know, scream from the, the <laughs> rooftops or anything. But there are, prob- there are millions of other people like me who have a business relationship and are, are getting a good service from mm-hmm. these banks. But you don't necessarily hear from them. The other thing I wanted to address is that when thinking about this, one of the things that I've said before, and, and uh, other people in the media ha- have said this, is that it seems like there is a concerted government effort to go after J.P. Morgan. And, and I want to explore a little bit the reality versus the non-reality of that existing. So uh, Jamie Dimon's relationship with the, with the White House has been a little complicated. Uh, back in 2008, you had talk about the possibility of Jamie, Jamie Dimon being named Treasury Secretary. He was on the, uh, what was it, the Ob- Obama's Business Brain Trust. That's what uh, CNN Money wrote about Jamie Dimon as being part of that Business Brain Trust back in 2008. Um, Obama... You know, he supported some some bonuses that that Diamond and uh, and Blankfein at Goldman Sachs got during uh, just outside of the financial crisis. But then things started to sour in sort of the 2012 kind of era. Obama was was running for uh, re-election. Uh, Jamie Dimon was fighting tooth and nail against regulations that he thought would harm the bank. And then you had the London Whale come out mm-hmm. and. Things seem to sour from there. And, and since then, you've had all of this regulatory scrutiny on J.P. Morgan. You've had these, uh, these big penalties, these big fines that, that we've seen uh, coming about. So is there a reality that, that the White House or the, the government is coming after J.P. Morgan more so than other banks? Uh, to some extent, maybe a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, but, but I... You know, I, I don't know if it's if it's a personal thing from Obama, which I've sort of hinted at, and maybe maybe I shouldn't be going in that direction. Uh, maybe there's a little bit of that. If, if given that Diamond was speaking out against the president at a time when he was uh, seeking re-election, and because the London Whale came out right at that point, and President Obama was so lauding of Diamond prior to that, that may have been the kind of thing where he was sort of like, well, great. I've supported this guy, I've supported this guy, and now, yeah, exactly, now it comes back and bites me. Um, However, when it comes to the SEC, 
when it comes to the Justice Department, when it comes to other regulators, I think there may be a concerted effort to go after uh, J- uh, Jamie, not Jamie Dimon specifically, but J.P. Morgan as a whole, because there's still the perception that they all missed out on things that were going wrong that led to the financial crisis. And now that they've sort of got this, uh, J.P. Morgan is the golden child bank of the financial crisis, um, that's starting to crack I think maybe they're going after that a little bit harder to show, look, we're, we're tough on banks, we're tough on financial regulation. So the, 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 the reality of the government coming after uh, J.P. Morgan, I think, is a little bit more cloudy than maybe I've given credit to. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we, when we look at what the banks broadly have been hit with, it's, it's really been all of them. In, in the U.S., uh, Bank of America obviously been hit with a ton of fines. Citigroup's been hit with a lot of fines. Wells Fargo, uh, which which probably uh, from its relationship with with Warren Buffett and from its general perception in the markets doesn't it doesn't get the same kind of headlines, even though it's had the had the uh, the financial risk. When we look overseas, UBS, Rabobank, we talked about that earlier today, uh, Deutsche Bank. I mean, the list goes on and on. So, so maybe it's not quite as clear as that they're going after J.P. Morgan. It's just getting the headlines. Exactly. It's where does where does all this fit in terms of you? You mentioned that we're both shareholders. Mm-hmm. Where, in your perspective, where? How much does it hold you back, if at all? If there wasn't all this all this headline, all this legal risk. Would you would you own more of J.P. Morgan, or does it not, do you not even think about it? If there wasn't the legal risk, mm-hmm. well, he, the thing is, is that if I'm thinking about trying to think about this soberly, I think right now at the peak of the of when all of this is going down, this is probably the time to be buying J.P. Morgan stock. Think about a couple of years back when when it was the peak of what Bank of America was seeing in mm-hmm. terms of its lawsuits and the the hate just piling onto right. Bank of America. And then look at it today; it's it's not totally done, but it's it's in it's much further along. To use the baseball analogy, it's in the much later innings of that mm-hmm. than J.P. Morgan is. Right. J.P. Morgan, part of it was that they just didn't see a lot of it until now, and now it's all clustering up mm-hmm. at once. So. It, a few years ago, or a couple years ago, when Bank of America was at the peak of all of it, that's probably the time to be buying. And it wouldn't have felt good. The fall of 2011 it wouldn't have it felt would, good at it, all. It would not have been comfortable to be buying Bank of America at five dollars a share. It would have been very uncomfortable before Warren Buffett made his investment. And right. there were talks of not not going bankrupt, but the the liquidity position at Bank of America was in a, was a very big concern among debt holders and equity investors there. But if you would have done it, you would have seen the rewards today. So I think it's very similar with J.P. Morgan today. Not as not as quite a bit as extreme because Bank of America's stock price was going down fairly significantly in 2011. J.P. Morgan's kind of been flat recently. Right. So, so the bottom line, go, going back to where we started with here, can you own it and sleep well at night? I, I mean, the bottom line is that all of the legal settlements today are for things that that, that J.P. Morgan and, and for the other banks that a similar situation were doing years ago. So, frankly, the thing is, is that if you were owning it years ago, that was the time that a lot of this wrongdoing uh, was taking place. So, if you're owning it today, unfortunately, you're the you're one of the shareholders uh, that that's this is coming out of out of your pocket mm-hmm. to, to pay for all of this. But this is a matter of the banks paying for it today, right. um, and hopefully moving on and having better conduct going forward. So. I'm going to say that, yes, maybe you can. I'm sleeping well. I slept great last night. (laughs) So I think everyone should. But you're a cold-blooded capitalist. (laughs) All you care about is profits. That's, That's true.
right, let's uh, let's move on to the game for today. It's a little bit of Would You Rather. Uh, why don't you go ahead and give us our first scenario here? First scenario is pretty simple game. Would you rather own Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley or Lazard and Evercore? And Lazard and Evercore, for those of you not familiar, they're much, much smaller investment banks. What do you say? Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. Last time I looked at Lazard and Evercore, they, they looked a little, a little richly priced to me. I think Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley are still priced to buy. Morgan Stanley, I'm not as crazy about the business. Goldman Sachs, I think, is the best investment bank out there. I, I agree. like the business at Lazard and Evercore, but it's a little hard for me to see where do they exactly fit in 10 years from now. I know Goldman Sachs is going to be around with their trading business, with their investment banking business, so I'm agreeing with you. Okay, next one up is Would You Rather Own Bank of America... Citigroup and J.P. Morgan, or U.S. Bancorp, Capital One Financial, and PNC Financial. This is a tougher one. This was a tougher one for me, and it's really a toss-up. But I'm going to go with U.S. Bancorp, Capital One, and PNC. I like the strategy at all of those banks. They're not as cheap, quote unquote, cheap as the big three up there. But I like the strategy. I like the leaders they have in place. So I'm going with those. Glad you said that because I wanted to say that you are wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going with the three bigger banks, Bank of America, Citigroup, uh, JP Morgan. Uh, I think the cheapness is a good reason to buy because the strategy is changing, because the banks are improving. I think those are the three to own. Uh, I I like the other three, but but the bigger ones are a better buy. All right. Last scenario of the day. I don't think you know this one. You didn't didn't prepare for this one. Would you (laughs) rather have one lunch with Warren Buffett or hang out with Charlie Munger for an entire week? God, that's an easy one. Would you rather do that? (laughs) That's easy. I would much rather hang out with Charlie Munger for a week. Charlie Munger does not pull any punches. I mean, the man says, says exactly what is on his mind. And I would be afraid that having lunch with Warren Buffett, he would just be interrupted by media requests. It would be a private lunch. A private, an hour and a half lunch. What does he get? I'm sure he's got an iPhone or something that he's got. Well, I'm going to disagree with you. I'm going with Warren Buffett. Get a picture of that. Put that on Instagram. (laughs) Just for the Instagram. You're going to get some major Instagram credit. (laughs) Take a picture with Warren Buffett. So, I'm going but, but what about what about me and Charlie Munger going bungee jumping? And I don't know if Charlie Munger could bungee bungee jumping. That baking might be, baking pies and that might be good too. Long walks on the beach. Well, hopefully we'll both get our wish, and then we can compare. I think that's probably the case. All right, let's finish off as we always do on the Twitter sphere. David, what is the first tweet? First tweet is from Ben Rabidou. Is that close enough? Close enough. I hope that. And he right. says, "Golden Sachs." <laughs> yeah, sorry, Ben. Says Goldman Sachs warns on large correction in Canada housing. Not the first people to be warning about a correction, quote unquote, correction in Canadian housing. No, because we were warning on that. It it looks a, a little concerning, <laughs> and prices prices continue to go up, gaining gaining momentum. The fundamentals quite aren't there. It's looking a little bit like uh, the U.S. before the, the credit crisis. There, I would say. The Canadian housing market is not the same as the U.S. There's different mortgages. The importance of it internationally is not quite there. If you look at the the mortgages that were behind loans all over the world from the U.S., that really hurt the financial system. If there was a a bust in the Canadian housing market, I don't think it would send a ripple throughout the global economy. It would hurt. It would hurt the Canadian yeah, economy. Yeah, but it's, sure. I'll tell you who it's important to is if, you're, if you own Canadian banks. Absolutely. Of course, Canadian Especially banking the big ones there. If you look at RBC and, and TD Bank, the biggest part of their portfolio is residential mortgages. Some of, those, some of those are insured, but some of them are uninsured. So they would 
potentially get hurt quite Okay, badly. so you heard it here first, and now Goldman Sachs confirming. We, we said that you should be concerned about the Canadian housing market, concerned about Canadian banks. As a result, Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs, one of our half dozens of listeners. M- must so. be, must be. The Good analysts work. of Goldman Sachs love the show. <laughs> Let's look at the next tweet. Next tweet is from Financial Services. This is the U.S. Uh, Financial Services Committee. If FHA were a private biz, likely somebody would be fired or fined and the institution would find itself in receivership. Instead, bailout. An angry bailout. An angry hashtag from That's the House Financial Services Committee. Angry there. hashtag. What, should, should, this, should, this, uh, should this organization be wound down? It's, it's such a small organization in the scheme of things. So for those of you who don't know, the FHFA, not the FHFA, FHA. the FHA, gosh, these acronyms, uh, they, they got a bailout of, I think it was $1.7 billion, not huge. And Jeb Hensarling, the chairman of the committee, was talking about how this is adding to our debt, the nation's debt of $17 trillion out there. So $1.7 on $17 trillion, that comes out to 0.01% roughly. So it's not a huge deal. I'm not up in arms that we gave the FH. A bailout, <laughs> especially right now uh, with a with a re- recovering housing market, you don't want to you don't want to pull the pull the rug out on something like that. But at the same time, just like with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, as we look towards the future, I, I think we should consider uh, what the future of of that kind of government uh, organization is. Anything can happen. All right, last tweet of the day. Or can it? It's <laughs> from Eddie Elfenbein. He says, "84 years ago today was Black Tuesday." The record trading volume wasn't broken for 40 years. The stock ticker ran until 7.45 p.m. Gosh, I remember that day like it was <laughs> time, time flies. What were you doing on, uh, on Black Tuesday? What was I doing on Black Tuesday? That's a good question. I think I was eating lunch at Chipotle and got the, got the no, I don't, with, with Warren Buffett. I, I would love to talk to someone who was actually uh, around that time and maybe in the business. I'm sure we could find a couple out there, maybe 100 and Five years old. A couple. I said a couple. <laughs> and I meant a literally a couple of people that were in the business back then. It might be you fascinating. Have, you have lost your mind. Ne- time until the next Black Tuesday. Prediction time. What do you say? And I'm not going to hold you this prediction at all. Until the next Black Tuesday? Yeah. I don't tomorrow. know. What kind, of, what kind of silly question is that? Yes, tomorrow. Okay. Tomorrow is the next Black Tuesday on Wednesday. Well, if it happens, you're going to be famous, so you're welcome. Well, I'll tell you what I don't have to predict. I don't have to predict the fact, how's this for a, for a transition, that we have a special report mm-hmm. that our listeners and viewers can get for free by emailing Warren, that's Warren Buffett's first name, mm-hmm. Warren at fool.com. Even if you can't have lunch with Warren Buffett, you can get a report on Warren Buffett's greatest wisdom. Just email warren at fool.com. We should also mention our Twitter. We should mention our Twitter. Uh, our Twitter is at TMF Financials. We encourage everybody to tweet at us, tweet us questions, tweet us comments, uh, tweet us stocks you want to hear about. We will talk about them on the show. We will answer questions on the show. That's at TMF Financials. You can't get that anywhere else. That's full service right there. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, nowhere else is anybody answering any questions, only here. Yes. <laughs> Again, one more time, at TMF Financials, I'm Matt Copenheffer. This is David Hansen. Thanks for watching, folks. We'll see you tomorrow.